Hi, this is Debbie Taylor-Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. So let's start with Thessalonica because what we are going to focus on today is not only the sounds, but the sights. So I'm going to be going through a lot of visuals for you to help take you to these places that Paul went to help you understand and experience it a little bit more. This is an image of Thessalonica during the time of Paul. We're able to see it was rather sophisticated. It had an amphitheater. And then, of course, a synagogue was here at Thessalonica, unlike we had seen last week when they were traveling, first of all, and did not have one. Let's open our word and let's begin with reading in Acts 17, beginning with verse 1. Now, when they had traveled through Amphilius and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, we see this custom he had, he went to them and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this is Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. So we are seeing a pattern, aren't we, as Paul travels on his missionary journey. So what are the sights that Paul sees and what are his strategies, plural, when he enters into new places? Because these are the sights, maybe not the same ones, but similar in our society today, and what are the strategies he uses? Because we all probably know someone who is not a believer, and we want to pick up on these strategies. The first thing that we see is, and say it with me, preach Jesus. That is our message. And we see that Paul reasons from the scripture, we are told here, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer. Verse 2 says, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And this is the model that Jesus set forth to him. And it is not surprising that this is what Paul does because the spirit of Jesus is in Paul. And so since Jesus reasoned, with the Emmaus disciples, 
from the scripture. He is going to reason from the scriptures with other people to whom he is witnessing. If you're not familiar with that passage in Luke 24, the Emmaus disciples are walking and they're sad because Jesus has been crucified and the resurrected Jesus appears to him. Verse 27 says this about Jesus. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained, explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. That's what Jesus did. He explained to downhearted people who he was using the scriptures. So I know that the Heavenly Father and Jesus and Holy Spirit are just thrilled every time you enter this building, anytime you enter, if you go to another church, because you are putting the scriptures in you so that then you are able to explain to others from the scriptures. And so we see that this was his pattern. This was his strategy to explain that Christ had to suffer. What did they see? Well, Paul was able to see the believers, those who chose to believe, he was able to see their faces. They were faces of joy. They were faces that were peaceful because they had responded to the gospel. You're all familiar with the Asbury revival that's going on in Kentucky. And a person was asked about that revival and he was one of the professors there and his comment about it entering into that chapel where the revival is going on is how peaceful it was how it was so obvious that the holy spirit was present and it was joyful not hype peaceful joyful worshipful and so that is what Paul would have been able to have had the privilege of seeing on the faces. But he also saw, we know, angry faces. Can you conjure in your mind an angry face that perhaps you have seen at some time? And he saw the angry faces of the, of the jealous, and then they were able to see the mob beginning to accumulate. They were able to see the people being stirred up, hyped up. They were able to see Jason's house being attacked. They were able to see Jason and the other brethren being dragged off. If you just have a moment to go back to some news channel, you may have thoughts of a mob scene that some news reporters have captured and how scary that is and how violent that is. We see this principle then that where the spirit of Jesus is working, Satan is warring. There is a spiritual war going on tangibly in our society today. And so we see that. And we also see, and we can't forget this, Paul's scarred back. My lab puppy, our piece of my lab puppy, probably six months ago, jumped up on me and I have a purple scar this big on my leg from her little claw going through me. That scar is still there from one dog scratch. Envision in your mind Paul's scarred back that the believers at Thessalonica would be able to see and those scars from his hands where he would have covered his head as he was being stoned. We can imagine then why they made this decision. They had a strategy of their own and their strategy was for Paul to leave. 
leave town because there was absolutely no point in him getting stoned or uh, beaten again almost to death. And, and so we see this principle that we are to use observation and prayer, of course, with God's word to discern God's will. This word observation is very important. Now, Paul is on the Roman road. This is an image of what the Roman road looked like. It was an incredible system in place at that time. And he's going to walk 60 miles to Berea. And here we're going to see his, the sights and the strategies. Once again, he's going to preach Jesus. He's going to reason from the scripture. He's going to explain and give evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And so we see in verses 10... Through 15, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now there were noble, these were noble-minded, more noble-minded, I should say, than those in Thessalonica, for they had received the word with great earnestness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so and how important that is for you and me when we hear teaching when we hear preaching please do not just let it go in and think that is biblical truth if that person is not speaking teaching from the word of God and you're looking in your Bible and you may even discern something differently, study, examine it. We have so many resources today that we can do that. But we see many believed, verse 13, there here goes this pattern, but when the Jews of Thessalonica found out, somebody from Berea apparently went to Thessalonica and said, hey, Paul and Silas are there, and I love how they refer to them as upsetting the world, don't you? Because yes, indeed, the world was upset in a wonderful way by the arrival, the death, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas, I'm sorry, then, <clears throat> then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea. Let's look here and we see these noble-minded Jews pouring over the scripture, examining it. The Jews, the prominent Greek women and men believing in the joy and the peace on their face. And then the Thessalonica Jews coming in. And we've seen that in some of the riots in our country where buses would come into places to form riots in cities. And it was not even the locals who were doing it, but then they stirred them up. And so we see now that they take Paul out to the sea and we're to see this principle that someone's no it's not to stop us from sharing the good news of salvation with others. You may have attempted to share Christ and got rejected. That doesn't mean that you are to stop sharing the good news with people. What do we see? Now we see Paul on the Athens Riviera. He has been put out to sea and now he is there and he is alone. And I've thought so much about what this must have been for him because he has known the familiar that he's done with the synagogues and some of these other places. But now he also knows, because he is a very highly educated man, that he is getting ready to go into a place where there are philosophers and philosophers of different opinions and some of the most, most brilliant minds. Athens at this time was a highly, highly sophisticated city. And so no doubt he and Jesus communed, Paul prayed, Paul asked for wisdom, insight, help. What would be the strategy? Well, first of all, it would be to preach Jesus, of course, in the synagogue. 
but he would also then go into the marketplace, and then he would also go where the intellectuals were. So as Paul starts walking, what does he see? And he sees the Parthenon, the temple to the goddess Athena. He sees the temple of Zeus, king of the gods. He sees the temple of Athena Nike. He sees Athena, can't miss her, the goddess of wisdom and war. So what is his strategy? In the synagogue, he's going to do the same thing. He's going to preach Jesus. He's going to explain and give evidence. In the marketplace, let's read verses 16 through 17. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being, this means it's continuously being, ongoing, provoked within him as he observed this city full of idols. So Paul is walking around and he's seeing the Parthenon, he's seeing the temple of Athena, he's seeing Athena great big there, and the town, the city of Athens is said to have had 30,000 idols in it, small idols. It was just covered. You couldn't go anywhere that you were not seeing idols. And so his spirit was being provoked within him Verse 17, so, so, he didn't just leave his provoked spirit to stew and to get angry or to feel hopeless or to ignore it. That word so is very important in verse 17. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he was reasoning in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. For instance, this class has started I have started looking at every person that I see, whether it's a waitress, the person who's checking me out at HEB, wherever I am, and I am looking at them, the lady at the belt counter, and I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, I wonder if they know Jesus. And then I am thinking to myself, I need to invite them to Bible study. And then I'm thinking, no, that would be stupid of me. And then I'm thinking, I bet they wouldn't be interested. Have any of you had all these thoughts go on in your head? And then the Spirit of the Lord is saying, not me thinking anymore, open your mouth, Debbie, and invite them to Bible study. And I have been. It can't hurt. And with some, if they say, oh, and they show some interest, but they say they can't come because they're working, tell them that I'm back here on Thursday nights teaching again this very same material with women who can't come during the day. Be sure to offer that for them, but also offer them a prayer. Or if you go back to that same place next time, I did this at HEB a couple of weeks ago with a woman who said, that she couldn't come. And I said, well, could I pray for you? And she said, yes, for my father, and told me his name. And so I began praying for him, and then I went back the next day and I took her a little card that says, Jesus loves you, I'm praying for Winston, and left my name and phone number with her and just handed it to her and walked on by. She hadn't happened to be my cashier. We can do things. We can put the word of God out there. I'd written it on a note that had a passage from Philippians. So we can be doing things. 
We see the city full of idols bustling with market, the common folks, and this is very important for us. We need to observe people. Would you say that with me? Observe people. Two, we need to pay attention and respond when there is a provocation in our heart, in our spirit. This word spirit is the influencing factor that's going on in you, the influencing part of your being. And when you have a provocation in your spirit, then that is your cue not to just say, oh, there they go again. No, that provocation is meant to, for you to be alerted and then to submit yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do about this that is being prov provoked within me? The spirit is the disposition or influence which fills and governs the soul of anyone. So when your spirit is provoked because of bad things going on or teaching that is contrary to the word of Christ, don't waste it. Use it. Submit your spirit, as Paul did, to the Holy Spirit. We see his marketplace strategy is to observe, to respond, and then to go ahead and reason with people. We want to be active doing this, preaching Jesus. On the outside table out there, I brought Discovering His Passion. I'd mentioned it before. That shows you how you can share Christ with different people, depending on what their situation is. I also brought vignettes of how you might miss an opportunity and then go back and have the opportunity. It was translated into Spanish and Vietnamese. I have on the back counter the Vietnamese edition of me teaching Discovering His Passion in Vietnamese. They just had a Vietnamese person sink my words over my body. And if you want to engage a Vietnamese person that you know, or perhaps you frequent a store or something, you can just hand them this to them and say, Jesus loves you, and they will be shocked when they are hearing the good news of Christ in Vietnamese in their own language. You can take those free, or you can make a donation to my ministry, Hill Country Ministries, whichever you prefer to do, but preach Jesus wherever you go. Now, we are moving on to the Areopagus. And we see in verses 18, it says, there were also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who were conversing with Paul. And some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. They were so used to be, there being many, many deities, they didn't understand that Jesus Christ was one. Verse 19, they took him. And at this time in the Areopagus, which was the religious and the judicial center, they could just gather you up and take you up and try you at that moment. My husband and I had a privilege uh, of going there several years ago and seeing and being on this ground and walking among those pillars and thinking what it must have been like for Paul when at that time he was looking out because the Areopagus was a high hill elevated and looking out at not only the idols and right in front of him and the temples to the strange gods, but also the many, many idols spread throughout the whole city. And now he is being called on to speak and to preach to a totally different audience than he has before, but God has prepared him because he has been raised and trained and educated in the finest of schools and he is on the same level with these men and so he is able to go from the common marketplace 
to now this place where they have placed him. And he and Jesus have already talked about it and what he would do and how he would begin. And his strategy was totally, totally different. As he is looking at the archaeological wonders, he's seeing all of this. He's seeing the men of academia. And this is his strategy, compassion. This is his strategy. You don't see Paul swinging a sledgehammer at their idols, do you? You don't see Paul yelling at them. You don't see Paul turning them over and saying, this is stupid. No. Because of the provocation of his spirit and because he has submitted his spirit to the Lord's spirit, he is looking at them and he is thinking, you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. You are the most intelligent, educated people in the world, and you're blind. You're missing it. You're in darkness, but that's not what Paul said. Instead, he found common ground with them, and he also called them to repent. He said God has fixed a day when he will judge the world through his appointed risen son, Jesus Christ. Before we get to these takeaways, I want us to look at his sermon because it's absolutely incredible. He said, I observe you are very religious in all respects for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship. I saw an altar within scripture to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, and this sounds so condescending to say you're worshiping something really ignorant, but it, it means he was saying to them, you're worshiping something you don't know, but I know him and I want to tell you who he is. Paul used the idols and the provocation of his spirit. Now, thank goodness we do not have idols in the United States, right? One of the most worshiped divine figures in India is the goddess Kali, and she became a virtual face of the wildlife savior on our New York City Empire State Building. Did you miss it? The face of a goddess was on our Empire State Building. An eight foot tall golden statue is standing on top of the New York City courthouse. One media outlet even called it a satanic golden medusa. According to the artist who created the statue, it's a symbol of women's empowerment and expression of support for abortion. In Illinois, a satanic statue is part of a holiday display. A statue of a snake wrapped arm holding an apple called snake-tivity to counter the nativity was installed in the rotunda of the Illinois State Capitol by the Satanic Temple's Chicago branch in December 2018. This is an image of a bronze. It's nearly nine feet tall. It depicts a winged uh, God, Baphomet, flanked by two small children looking up. Hundreds of Satanists 
turned out to see its unveiling. It is in Detroit. It is also other places. With the overturn of Roe versus Wade, the Satanic Temple has now offered to women a religious abortion ritual in New Mexico. And here you recognize, of course, this satanic image that stands. We don't have any idols in the United States. Maybe you are not watching the news. Maybe you've got your head in the sand. We have idols everywhere. We have idols the same as they had on Mount Olympus for gods of sex, for gods of love, for gods of hunting, for gods of power, for gods of prosperity. We have gods all around us and people are worshiping those gods. So as we look at this, what are our takeaways? Number one, will you become more observant? Will you submit your provoked spirit to the Holy Spirit? Will you engage in compassionate conversation? Reason with scripture from people that you know have, are churched. Maybe your daughter, your son, person that you work with, start with the scriptures. But for people who do not know anything about God or Jesus, and there are so many of them now in our society, find common ground with them. I want us to look, because we have a few minutes, at how Paul did that as a reminder. I know you've studied this at home and you've discussed it in your group, but this Bible study has been designed with this threefold approach for you first to examine the scriptures, then for you to discuss them because that helps you learn from others as well as reinforce it. But when you speak the answer, by you speaking the answer, you are helping embed the truth in your brain, in your mind. And then when you come here to be able to have it reinforced to you with some additional insights so that then you can take that conglomerate of the threefold approach of learning out into your home or out into our marketplace. So what, how did he use this common ground? First of all, he said he examined the objects of the worship. We have to know what is going on so that we can talk to people. Verse 24, look at this common ground. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. You and I can always point to people and say, the world, the sky, the heavens, that the Lord made, the stars in place, didn't just happen by accident. There is a Lord God creator who instigated it. Even if they say, well, I believe in evolution, then your question is, well, who started the very first particle that caused the process of evolution to continue? 
He says he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Verse 26, he made from one man every nation. Now, this is very important what Paul's doing right here. He says he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times that should make us wake up. The United States has an appointed time. Uh-huh. And with more and more threats from China, we might sometimes be wondering what is the appointed time for the United States of America. He has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Right, that right there, we can't grasp as fully. But what Paul was saying right there was loaded with words because Mount Olympus ran across Macedonia and it was a boundary between different areas and they used natural earth boundaries, rivers, oceans, mountain ranges to separate their regions. And so he's saying, God made those. God made that Olympian mountain range. God set that there. And that would be clicking in their mind. And then he said, and he had said that if they would seek him, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Are those not beautiful words? In him we live and move and exist. Say that with me. In him we live and move and exist. He is not quoting, although he could be, the Old Testament, he is quoting their poets. He, Paul is quoting their poets. He is quoting Eponinus of Crete. And in verse 28, when he says, for in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his, are his children, he is quoting Erastus, who was a poet. And because Paul was from Tarsus, the capital, he was able to quote him. He was doing everything he could to relate to him, and he did that successfully because there were two, at least, who believed. But then he gives a call to action. And friends, we have to give that call to action. I've shared with some of you before, my daddy was a general manager of a car dealer, and, and you could, he would use the example that you could show somebody, you could have them drive the car, they could demo it, but bottom line, at the end of their experience, he had to say to them, how about you buy this car? He had to give them the opportunity to buy the car, not just, well, thanks for looking at it. No, if he wanted to sell the car, he had to say, what's to keep you from going ahead and buying this? We can, make, we can work out something. And you and I oftentimes may stop short. We may share Jesus and say, Jesus loves you. And, you know, he's just proven by, by the beautiful world and everything. But we don't say, have you ever professed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if they say no, you say, what's to keep you from calling on the Lord right now? and telling him that you're sorry for your sins. I'm calling on him as your Lord and Savior. What's to keep you from doing that right now? Would you? That is what Paul is doing right here. That is what he is doing. He says, therefore, 
Verse 30, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere. So yes, we are to witness. Because he has fixed a day. These are powerful words. These are powerful words. We need to read them every day so we won't forget them. God has fixed a day. He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The response was some of them sneered, but Dionysus and Eropagot and a woman named Demarius and others did believe. Our takeaways, will you share the need to repent because God has fixed a day to judge the world in righteousness through a man he has appointed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Paul who declared the truth, who took the time to observe people and when he was provoked in spirit, wasn't just perturbed and upset with the world situation, but no, Father, he took the time to get in their skin to examine what they were seeing and feeling and worshiping and then to find common ground, and then to call them to repent. Help us be as bold quickly. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.